Which high-ranking government employee did Ethel Beavers have an open affair with? Answer at the end of the episode. The citizens of Pawnee. I would like to go on record. Speaking as a citizen of Pawnee. Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. My mom's Puerto Rican. That's why I'm so lively and colorful. Says you could have network connectivity problems. Jogging is the worst, Chris. I mean, I know it keeps you healthy, but God, at what cost? Dr. Harris, you are literally the meanest person I've ever met. Dad, Gary, Jerry, Larry, Gergich, Gengerich. I love you and I like you. I love you and I like you. Hello and welcome back to Citizens of Pawnee, a Parks and Recreation podcast where I discuss anything and everything from character breakdowns to episode rewatches, as well as some other trivia and tidbits about the show. My name is Brian and I'll be your host. This is episode number 54 being recorded Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. And today I'm going to be talking about why Tom Haverford sucks. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email citizensofpawnee at gmail.com. You can also follow and message the show on Instagram at Citizens of Pawnee Podcast, as well as my other page at Parks Rec Memes. New episodes drop periodically and can be found wherever you find your podcast now. Keep those notifications on and follow the Instagram pages for episode info. And just a reminder, this podcast will have full spoilers for the entire series. Everything he's saying is nonsense and he's fooling them. That's right. We're just going to go ahead and start off with some filler. Uh, first off, I wanted to say uh, rest in peace, Helen Slayton Hughes, who died at the age of 92. Uh, Helen is famous for playing the crotchety but hilarious Ethel Beavers on 11 episodes of Parks and Recreation. Uh, she was born October 30th, 1930 and passed away uh, just a couple days ago, December 8th, 2022. Well, about a week ago, sorry. Uh, someone pointed this out to me on the, the Parks Rec memes page and it was sad to see, but I mean, I, I have seen, I had seen some recent pictures of her and she did look like she was getting a little up there in age. Obviously she's 92, but yeah, it really sucks because granted this show's done and I don't know anything else she's on. She, I think she was on an episode of The Good Place or um, how, it, no, I, I think it was, um, geez, a uh, new girl. There you go. I think I saw her on there and then I believe she was on the show Burning Love with other Parks and Rec alum, June Diane Raphael, who played Tinnifer. And I think that show was like kind of a mock-up on all those like Rock of Love and Daisy of Love and all those stupid shit shows that were on like VH1. Uh, Guilty Pleasures. Uh, so uh, if you watch those, no judgment. Luckily, I never got sucked into any of them. So rest in peace, Helen Slayton Hughes. You will be missed. So then the last thing for filler that I wanted to bring up was, uh, sorry, this is probably annoying for a lot of you, but uh, Spotify wrapped considering every podcast, every band, every, I don't know, anything that <laughs> you can play on Spotify. Yeah, everyone's kind of showing their numbers over the year. And um, I didn't post mine on the page on Instagram or anything because I only did 10 episodes this year of Citizens of Pawnee. I know that's pathetic, but, you know, I did end the show last year right before Christmas and thought that that was going to be it. And then in, I don't know, April or something, I kind of came back and was like, you know what? I'm not done talking about this show. I'm going to keep going, just not weekly, which I wish I could do, but just too many other things going on in life, including my other podcast. But I just want to thank everyone who uh, hung in there with the show and still listens. And I just wanted to actually read one message that I got on Instagram from 
uh, Teresa Tofel, that's uh, the name at least, uh, at Teresa.Tofel, says, Hi, Brian. Since everyone is sharing their Spotify rap these days, I wanted to share with you that on my list is only your Citizens of Pawnee podcast. Unfortunately, I'm not great at listening to podcasts. I get easily distracted, but I try to listen to it when I'm driving in my car. I listen to music offline and not on Spotify, by the way. Anyway, just wanted to tell you that I really enjoy your podcast and I hope I can catch up soon. I think I'm halfway through the episode so far. Have a nice day. Teresa, I did write back to her. Uh, Teresa, if you are listening to this or when you get to this episode, might be a while. But uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's, you know, hearing stuff like that, that makes me actually want to keep coming back and doing this. Nothing, not that I don't enjoy doing it, but sometimes just when there's no motivation and you're not really sure if anyone's listening or how the people are you know, taking to the show. But uh, again, thank you. I really appreciate it. So uh, I'm going to try to, and I know I say this like every episode, I want to try to start getting more episodes out, maybe like two a month or something, but I just can't guarantee that. So for now, we'll say maybe like once a month <laughs> would be good, but um, yeah, just hang in there and I'll keep more going. So that is all I got for filler. Let's move on to uh, the man of the hour, Tom Haverford. When we think of the scumbags of Pawnee, a few names come to mind. Jeremy Jam, Dennis Feinstein, Mona Lisa, and John Ralphio Saperstein, Councilman Bill Dexhart. But today, they get a pass. Today, we're going to be discussing why Tom Haverford sucks. Let me start by saying that I love Aziz Ansari. I love the actor. Uh, he seems like a pretty good dude, at least from interviews I've heard. So this is not a slight on his acting or him as a person. This is clearly how this character was written in the show. But while Tom is an incredibly hilarious character, and he can be very likable at times, most of the time, he is just like a piece of shit. <laughs> he really is. I mean, he's selfish. He Everything's for himself. You know, he's just, he's always self-promoting. So I think that Aziz played this character amazingly, played it the way it was written. So good on him. However, <laughs> it's like Ryan from The Office. You're like, well, I like BJ Novak, but like, He's just so unlikable, like his character of Ryan. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to uh, get that out there first, uh, just so you guys know this is not like a personal attack on the actor or anything. But Tom Haverford sucks. So, uh, yeah, like I said, he's selfish. He's a bully. He's rude and uh, very chauvinistic as well. He's um, constantly hitting on women and just treating them like objects, especially Anne Perkins, uh, which I will get to more as we go along. So. Um, over the years and uh, after many, many rewatches of Parks and Rec, it's just become more and more apparent to me that Tom Haverford is just not a good person. It seems that for every good thing he does, there's two or three bad things to counter that. So here are some reasons why Tom Haverford sucks. And I've got a lot, got about eight pages worth. So uh, these are not in chronological order. So here we go. Uh, this is just general information uh, right off the bat in season one. Uh, Tom often undermines Leslie. Uh, he has a very lazy work ethic. And actually, I'm just going to read a, a Ron Swanson quote that we get in uh, one of the very early episodes about Tom. So Ron says, I like Tom. He doesn't do a lot of work around here. He, has, he shows zero initiative. He's not a team player. He's never wanted to go that extra mile. Tom is exactly what I'm looking for in a government employee. So it's great that Ron likes Tom's uh, zero work ethic, but, <laughs> you know, doesn't help anyone else out. So here we go. All right. So Tom uh, often abuses the small amount of power he does have 
He also constantly hits on women, including Ann Perkins, even though he's married. Granted, it's a green card wedding, but even Wendy divorces him as soon as she legally can. So we know that Tom and Wendy got married right out of college. They were friends there. And Wendy is uh, was was a Canadian citizen who needed citizen, citizenship in America. So her and Tom, they got married. And we don't find this out till uh, a little bit later on. And you do kind of wonder, it's like, what is this woman this highly successful, beautiful nurse see in this little pipsqueak Tom. And then sure enough, yes, you find out that it is a green card wedding. You find that out in the episode where everyone's digging up dirt on each other. So it just kind of shows you right there. At first you're like, wow, you know, like Tom somehow wooed this woman. Then you realize, nope, it's all a sham. She has no love for this guy, maybe just as a friend, but that's about it. Get more into that. Um, so like I said, as soon as she can legally divorce him, uh, Tom tries to sue her for palimony as, uh, like I said, she's a successful doctor and it's not even really about the money. Tom is just jealous because Wendy had started dating Ron at this time, which I've talked about. That is another very odd character choice that they did to Ron because Ron is usually like a stand up guy. And for him to immediately go to Wendy, like right after he finds out they're divorced was kind of odd, but I'm, um, just kind of sidetracking here because we're not talking about Ron. So anyway, uh, in the end, Wendy basically tells Tom to go F himself and he drops the lawsuit. This also leads to Tom being very petty and unfair when he refs a kid's basketball game where Ron and Andy are the coaches. Ron's team is eventually disqualified for bogus reasons, prompting Ron to throw his chair just like his hero, Bobby Knight. So yeah, the <laughs> when they start the the two-team Pawnee Basketball League, which is so funny because I, I love that line when Leslie's like, there's only two teams, and Ben's just like, yeah, and they're going to develop a great rivalry. So good. So, yeah, Ron's team is clearly the more organized, uh, better team, better athletes, everything. He's got, like, a great regiment, and he's actually coaching just like Bobby Knight. I mean, he's wearing the red sweater, everything like that. And then you got Andy's team who is just, you know, just imagine a bunch of little Andys running around trying to play basketball. They're just – they're not really doing it the right way. They're just, like, tackling each other, running around. So – Clearly, Ron's team is just mopping the floor with Andy's, but Tom just keeps calling like stupid bogus fouls to where even Ron's confused. And then even Wendy kind of comes over and she's like, Tom, this is ridiculous. You know, what are you doing? So he blows the whistle, calls the game. Andy's team wins. And um, yeah, just just more of Tom's pettiness there. So uh, to try and exact revenge on Ron, Tom starts dating Tammy, too, which ends horribly for him. Tammy clearly has no interest in Tom. She even calls him Glenn half the time because she honestly doesn't know what his name is. And she ends up literally kicking his ass in a later episode. This results in the second time throughout the series that Ron has to carry Tom like a child. And I mean, literally like a baby. So he's, he's holding it. <laughs> you know, he's got Tom like one arm under Tom's like knees in the back and then the other one's holding him. So he's literally cradling Tom. This happens later on. Another thing that has to do uh, with Ron, well, like I said, it's the second time he does this, but this is after Tom gets really drunk the day that him and Wendy get divorced and they go to bring Tom home and Wendy's like having a date. She already has someone over, which is kind of weird because it's like, why is like, why hasn't this been established yet? Um, but actually, I think Tom had moved out by now and they were just trying to see it's like, here, this is your husband, your ex-husband, you do something with him. But Wendy's more or less like, no, I, I you know. So, uh, so jumping around here at the Harvest Festival, Tom is tasked with keeping an eye on Lil Sebastian while Jerry takes a break. 
When Jerry returns, Tom is on the phone with his back to the mini horse's pen, failing to see that little Sebastian had gotten out and is now missing. When questioned, he promptly blames Jerry and somehow gets the others to rally against the sad sack. Now, the others, I mean, it's pretty much just Andy and April. And then Ron's not for or against this. And you find out that Ron actually knows what happened, which is kind of bullshit to me that he actually let it go this far with everyone like picking on Jerry like it's his fault. Because Ron actually says later, he's like, Tom, we all know you left the gate open and this is your fault. But Jerry, you were shotgunning. Uh, funnel cakes and which I think is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. He's on his break. So who cares? But um, this leads to maybe the only time in the series that we hear Jerry yell in anger. And that is when Tom keeps trying to tell him that it's his fault. And Jerry's like, I wasn't even here. Like genuinely pissed off. I think he's also just pissed off because he loves little Sebastian and he's missing. So uh, they finally find the horse and Tom apologizes, but it's only after Ron makes him. So this is kind of BS, too, because this is when they're all uh, the four of the or the five of them. Sorry, Tom, Jerry, April, Andy, and then Ron. They're on different carts in the uh, uh, the merry-go or Ferris wheel thing. Well, whatever the, the the big one that stands up that goes around. <laughs> is it a carousel? American, uh, what the hell are those things called? Anyway, so they're all up there talking and that's when Ron finally just blows up because he's pissed off at everyone because they won't shut up. And he tells them, you know, because April and Andy are fighting about some dumb uh, bullshit, but uh, the the Tom and Jerry thing is still going about little Sebastian. And that's when Ron finally shuts everyone up. Okay. All right. When the parks department goes on a camping trip, a selfish ass Tom brings dozens of gadgets and appliances for his tent which he plugs into the group's van, causing it to drain the battery, stranding the group in the forest. Yeah, this is a, a fun episode right after they do the, the Harvest Festival and they're, they're trying to come up with new ideas. Leslie and uh, the group, they get stranded in the middle of nowhere because, again, Tom literally has a tent and then it's, you know, Ben walks into his tent and he's just like, how do you afford all this stuff? And that's when you find out Tom literally cries and whines to get his way so and it's, it's kind of funny though he actually says he's like no one likes hearing a grown man cry that's very true um so yeah he's got he actually has a frozen yogurt machine in there he's got fondue going a big screen tvs playing video games I, I, he says he's got to catch up I, it's like america's next top model or top chef something like that i can't remember but yeah you see everything's going okay and then the power just like for everything just just goes out at once and ron comes over and he's just like where are you getting all this power from tom's like oh well i had it hooked up to the van's battery so sure enough the van is now dead and any power that they had in their on their camping trip has gone with it so they end up having to go to a bed and breakfast and that's that uh, at Andy and April's wedding, Tom stands up and makes an announcement asking if there are any strippers in the house as he's trying to throw Andy a bachelor party just minutes before the wedding. Uh, Ron actually comes over and he's just like, what the hell are you doing? Because Tom stands up on a couch again. Mind you, this is a surprise wedding. And he asks, he has to ask Andy if he can be his best man, which is kind of pathetic too. like, come on, man, I've never been a best man before because he thinks he's going to get laid. So. He just stands up on the middle of a couch. Yeah. In a room with a room of about 20 to 30 people and just starts asking if there's any strippers in the house. Like that's it's one where it's almost not even funny because you're just like, no, no way. Like a, 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 like a rational human being 
wouldn't do this kind of stuff, but that's Tom for you. All right. So uh, I got to jump to one of my least favorite Tom moments. It is, uh, it's in the episode Soulmates, where he is matched with Leslie on a dating site. Tom doesn't know this at first, but once he does, he becomes unbearable. Talking to Leslie like they're dating, calling her boo, and acting very unprofessional in front of everyone, even making Ben a little jealous, because this is when him and Leslie are kind of starting to, uh, you know, have feelings for each other. And even at the end of the episode, Ben comes up to Tom and he's just like, hey, what's going on there? What's going on there? And, and Tom tells him, you know, hey, we were we were just screwing around. So it, uh, you know, Ben gets a little clarity there. He's like, okay, cool. But um, finally, Leslie pulls Tom out of the meeting to yell at him. He finally admits to, met, to Ben that it was a joke, like I said, but not before Leslie kissed Tom to shut him up while their boss, Chris Traeger, sees. So sure enough, yeah, Leslie just pulls him out. She's just like, you're being an ass. What the hell is going on? And he still won't let this go. So she just plants one right on him. And she says it later, and it comes up in a later episode too. But she did it to shut him up. It was just to shut him up. So, she, you know, like, so. Uh, but the fact that Chris happens to see this. And it, what's funny about this, this doesn't really go anywhere. Like, there's no punishment or anything. But Ron, or I'm sorry, Chris uses it later. And he calls. He's like, well, uh, but you were lovers. You know, Tom Haverford was your lover. And it's just so funny the way he says lover. Because it makes it seem so intense. And it was actually just nothing. Like, more of a misunderstanding, if anything, that Tom just took too far. So, um, he also, he threatens his coworkers saying that if they don't come to the snake juice premiere, they're donezo to him, meaning that they're no longer friends. Uh, Andy's really the only one that actually seems to care about this. It's kind of funny. Cause Do Tom's like, yeah, you know, if you don't come to my party, we're donezo. And I think it's, um, Mark Brandanowitz. It's like, what does donezo mean? He's like, well, playing video games and hanging out it's not going to happen because we're done. So, and he gives a few more examples and Andy just looks at April. He's like, we, we can't be on that Dunzo list. <laughs> like, I love the, the affinity that Andy has for Tom. See throughout the episode, like he, he, he's just always there for him. You know, he gives him a thousand bucks so he can buy that, that final share for, uh, to be a uh, partial owner of the snake hole lounge actually. So, which I've talked about, but it never comes back that it's like, why doesn't Andy get any credit for this? You know, for anything like the, when they're having the premiere and it's like, he wants to drink for free. He should be able to drink for free. He gave Tom a thousand bucks to, uh, to go on with this. So, uh, in season four, he quits the parks department to run entertainment 720 with John Ralphio, who I must've missed this the many, many times I've watched it, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention because I wasn't doing research, but we find out that John Ralphio put in $450,000. So this makes a lot more sense, actually, how they were able to get E720 going. Like you knew John Ralphio had money from all his scams and his, you know, like all his debauchery, but Tom has always been like, yeah, I can throw in some money, you know, and he that's why he threw in, I think, four grand. Um, John Ralphio threw in five and then Andy threw in the extra grand. But again, he just gave that to Tom. So it's not like he signed any papers or anything. But yeah, so it makes a little more sense. And uh, of course, John Ralphio, you know, he got run over by Alexis. He's done many other things to uh, yeah, <laughs> basically uh, commit fraud, but he gets away with it. My favorite one being when Tom tells us that he's he got like a hundred thousand dollars because he got too scared in a haunted house. That's so it's amazing to me. I just love it when people are like, yeah, he got he got too scared. You just think of like a little kid. But the fact that it's John Ralphio is even better. So 
Uh, the two of them run the company right into the ground because it was a stupid idea in the first place that was never fully explained to us, the viewers. Um, later, he opens a successful clothing rental store called Rent-A-Swag, but is run out of business and sells to Dr. Saperstein. Then later, he once again fails at being an entrepreneur as his high-scale restaurant, Tom's Bistro, goes under. However, that was due to a beef shortage in the world, which is just terrifying to think about <laughs> if we ever run out of beef. It's like, up. Oh. We're all going vegan or we're just eating a lot of pork. Uh, so that one wasn't really his fault. But uh, you do find out like towards the uh, the very end of the, the series that he with his successful book tour that basically just talks about how much of a loser he is. Like literally, that's what it is. It's a, a failure story is what the name of the book is. So he's able to get um, Tom's Bistro back. However, I don't know how that works with the beef shortage. But all right, moving on. When Tom and Anne started dating, the show clearly just needed something for these two to do, considering Anne never showed even a fraction of interest in him. In fact, earlier in the series, Anne has April house sit for her, and her only rule to April is, don't give Tom a copy of the key. In this episode, April frantically calls Tom for help because the possum got out of its cage at Anne's house. She begs him, don't tell Leslie, to which he replies, you got it, then immediately hangs up and says, uh, the possum got out. So this was actually just hysterical, like how quickly I love it when they do this in movies and stuff where it's like they're telling you one thing is going to happen or not going to happen. And then immediately, like the next scene, that thing's happening. This doesn't even jump to another scene. It's literally Tom just like, yeah, don't worry, I won't tell her hangs up immediately. Uh, the possum got out. So then Leslie just frantically, you know, she has to run over to Anne's house to help. Um, and if you're wondering why I'm talking about a possum, it's from the episode, the possum that they caught on the golf course that Leslie didn't want, uh, put to death because she wasn't sure if it was the right one. So that's why. All right. Uh, so back to Tom and Anne, he is just so incredibly childish, petty, whiny, annoying, and unlikable when these two are dating. Luckily it doesn't go on that long. And there's, there's a couple times during this where you're like, wait, I, I don't know if they're still together or not until, Finally, they break up for good at uh, Donna's lake house where you find out that Anne doesn't know who Genuine is. So that's another thing with Tom, just how shitty he is. Like, that's one of the reasons he breaks up with Anne. Or, or I, don't, they, I don't know if they say who broke up with who, but they basically just ended it. And you know that that was part of the reason why. So um, his swagger and his overconfidence just make it even more pathetic when Anne uh, dumps him for good, which I just wrote down. However, I just said I'm not exactly sure, but we're going to go ahead and say that Anne just straight up dumped Tom because that would make more sense. Um, another knock against Tom is that he dates the awful Mona Lisa, proving that he has no standards or self-respect as she constantly talks about wanting to cheat on him. Being the coward he is, he tries to get Anne to break up with Mona Lisa for him. This does not work. However, after a brief pregnancy scare, they finally break up. Yeah, they're at the Snake Hole Lounge. Or no, no, they're not. They're at, uh, crap. There's another bar that they go to, the one where uh, Andy's band plays a lot. It's it's not Cozy's because that's in Eagleton. Um, crap, I can't remember the name of the bar. It's not the Snake Hole Lounge, though. So, yeah, they're there and he's trying to come with ideas because Mona Lisa is just like getting in fights with people. I think she stabbed someone with a fork at some point. And Tom, I think, and just, you know, just Anne being a good person, she sees that Tom is really struggling here and he's in a situation that he can't get out of. And she actually feels for him because even she knows that Mona Lisa is absolutely nuts. And if you don't believe me that she's nuts, 
In season seven, she literally starts a fire in her dad's car while she's waiting for him while he is doing an interview to be possible mayor of Pawnee. That's when she comes in. She's like, Daddy, someone made me wait too long. And I set a fire in your car. Something like that. I, I miss it. Nope. Sorry. She's like, someone set a fire because you took too long. So, yeah, she is absolutely batshit crazy. But Anne goes in. And the way that she, which, which even shows you how shallow Mona Lisa is, the way that she originally gets, because it, it works at first and then it backfires. She tells Mona Lisa that Tom is broke. And that just sets it off. And she's like, what do you mean you're broke? And no, no, no. However, that night ends in uh, Mona Lisa, Tom, and another woman who they, pro uh, they uh, Mona Lisa asks if she wants to have a threesome, which is so good because a very attractive woman just sitting by herself. She's like, do you want to have a threesome with us? And the girl's just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and then they start talking. But then you find out that they got in a fight before it could actually happen. So that sucks for Tom. All righty. Um, also, Tom has 26 different dating personalities, one for every letter of the alphabet. Um, for example, Tom A. Haverford, Tom B. Haverford, Tom C. Haverford, etc. Could you imagine if I went through the whole alphabet? Like, that would be some good time filler. Um, which this whole thing to me, like, it's, it's funny when you think about it in the show. It's just like, okay, that's kind of smart. But when you think about it even more, it's desperate and it's pathetic. And this is what leads to, like I talked about before, this is what leads to Tom and Leslie, uh, Tom thinking that they're actually dating, Tom thinking that Leslie actually has a crush on him until, you know, she does the kiss thing and basically tells him, get like, we're not, this is not happening. We're not joking about this anymore. We're done. And um, yeah, so it just uh, like the one that he the, the one that he picked was uh, like the nerdy version or the one that Leslie got paired up with which is kind of funny because he says he starts giving some examples of why that guy's like his nerdy profile and in the profile for favorite movie, it just says books. <laughs> I love that. I hate books so much. I've read uh, a couple books here and there, but man, if you can't read it on your phone, it's not worth reading. Kids, if you hear me uh, say this, uh, I'm just joking. All right. So uh, when Jerry retires and there is no one left for the parks department to pick on, Tom immediately becomes that person after he mispronounces file piles as Philo Pilo. He's so immature about it. Like seriously grow up. I mean, it's, I hate it so much. And, and I know it's so much easier said than done to just tell someone, yeah, just go with the flow. But I find, I do that all the time. If I, if I screw up, just start immediately get ahead of it before people can start. I mean, this is no joke at work. The, my, my place of business, I have, I'm not going to get into details, on two different occasions, destroyed two fireproof doors um, that are thousands of dollars in cost that I have completely destroyed. One of them was uh, when I first started the job. That was about 12 years ago. And the other one was last summer. So, um, yeah, like, in in in. in uh, I'm very lucky in the sense that like my employees were just like, all right, you know, it's an accident. We'll, we'll get new doors. We're not going to fire you over this. But for me, it was more just like getting shit for it. Everyone like, oh, no, you're going to hit another door da, 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 to the point where now I am like almost bragging about it, like in a in an embarrassed way. But I'll tell people at the school, we'll just be walking by and I'll be like, yeah, you notice there's no door here. That's because of me, because they replaced the door the first time. This time it's like they're still waiting on it because, again, these things are like they're. 
they're very expensive. So it's like, uh, um, but yeah, this is Tom just can't do things like this. He has to no, no, just keep whining to the point where you're like, God, this guy sucks. So um, we find out, though, that Tom used to get made fun of because he was an Indian kid growing up in South Carolina. And like, who cares? Like, I'm really supposed to feel bad for Tom for this. You know, he's like telling Ron, he's like, mm, it's fine. I mean, I was made fun of my whole life. So what's going to change? And yeah, Ron's the one that tells him, he's like, dude, either find someone else or kind of get over it. You know, he's like, just go with the flow. And that never really worked. And it works because they end up hiring Jerry back, which is so funny because he's retired and they reach out to him like, hey, uh, we, we need you to come back to work. And Jerry talks about how he was getting on a plane with Gail and they were going to go to like the Bahamas or something. And he's like, Gail, you better pack that bikini back up because the government needs me. So Leslie just called him. She's like, we need you to do some filing work. He's like, all right. <laughs> I bet he even told her. He's like, well, Leslie, I'm retired. We're going on vacation. And she's probably like, Jerry, the government needs you. Something like that. And, you know, he'd probably drop everything and just uh, run on over. So, but yeah, um, again, screw that. Like Tom trying to like, yeah, I don't know, like them trying to make us feel bad because Tom sucks. And, you know, they, they used to pick on him when he was a little kid. So... All right. Um, during Leslie's campaign in season four, Tom organizes an event for Leslie, but he plasters E720 logos and pictures of himself everywhere. Like there's literally even like little floor mats that people are standing on Tom's face, you know, and it's just when Leslie walks in, she's just like, what the hell is all this? And he's like, well, you know, you got to pay to promote. And, and she tells him, take all this shit down, like all of it but leave the cake. <laughs> she specifically tells him, leave the cake. Sure enough, he doesn't do any of this because he's a prick. So um, he makes the entire event about Entertainment 720 and himself to where some vendors even back out, citing Tom's unprofessionalism as the reason and basically telling Leslie, we can't, you know, we can't support you if this is the kind of people you surround yourself with. So Tom thinks he's like hot shit doing all this, but vendors are actually pulling out because they're like, this guy's a clown. We're not working with you if he's the running the show, which he does end up um, smoothing things over because he goes and gives a uh, uh, Kernston. What the hell is his last name? I, or his first name? I can't remember. Robert Kirsten, I think he is the, the owner of Kirsten rubber nipples. And he's got a really terrible haircut. You find out that he cuts his own hair and his hair literally looks exactly like Lil Sebastian's not as long in the back, but like with the bangs and everything, it's so funny. I got, I remember years back, I, I posted a meme like that and it was like, Hey, these two get their haircut at the same place. And I immediately got shit from everyone. They're like, no, they didn't. He cuts his own hair. And it's like, Touche. So actually, I shouldn't have done the mocking voice there because you guys were right. So <laughs> good call. Um, to which I promptly and shadily went in and changed it to make it look like I knew that. Eh, that's how I roll. Anyway. All right. Uh, where are we at here? So, um, yeah, this is actually you can see Leslie is super pissed after this thing because she actually, she's looking for Tom and she's just like, where are you? Where are you? And Tom, of course, he's outside in a stretch limo that has a pool in it. He was like bringing it, you know, just to kind of show it off a little bit. It's not his clearly. He's just renting it. And Leslie just like, it's funny because she climbs into the hot tub part and she's just so she can like, she's like, where are you? Get out of there, you little bastard. And she like pulls him up and then dunks him. And then pulls him back up. And she the whole time she's like, you know what? I, I, I don't even dunks him back again. And like Tom's just letting her do it. It's so pathetic because he knows he's like, yeah, I screwed up. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. And this is another one of those times you get so many of them where you have to hear a Tom apology, like a really nice, sincere apology. But it's like, who, again, I don't give a shit. He does this later to Ben, which I'll get to. And Ben actually tears up. He's like, was so nice. It's like, great. How do you know he didn't write that just to apologize? You know? So I don't know. But I, I do love that, how Leslie's just like, get over here, you little bastard. And she eventually, you know, like forgives him because he tells her that E720 is a joke and it's it's failing and they're broke. And yeah, it's like with Leslie, you could be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that, but you're still a selfish prick. So I've used that word a lot in this, and I apologize. My language is getting a little fiery here. But again, um, I get really worked up when talking about Tom. So, all right. Uh, in another episode, he borrows Ron's coonskin hat to try some good old-fashioned peacocking. If you're unfamiliar with peacocking, it's basically just wearing some stupid article of clothing to make people, you know, to, to get people's attention. You know, because peacocks stand out because they're colorful. So when people see this, they're just like, oh, hey, look at that guy's hat. I definitely noticed that. So he's trying that. And uh, because Ron obviously pulls everything off, he's awesome. And he's like a total ladies man. Tom tries wearing the hat. He's like in, in City Hall, in City Hall, too, just hitting on women. Granted, this was a different time. Now it'd be like, all right, you're out of here, dude. <laughs> Probably get canceled or um, but yeah, so he he's just he's trying this and it's pathetic. And then he gives the hat back to Ron, just like, oh, this stupid hat doesn't work. Ron puts it on and no joke within like two seconds, a woman pops her head into his office and she's like, hey, nice hat. OK, so after Tom's divorce, he asks for help from the Parks Department to help him move out of Wendy's house. So uh, <laughs> this is uh, un unrelated. Well, I guess it's related to this episode, but just like a really funny part. I always loved so much because. Tom comes up to Mark and he's just like, hey, Mark, how's that uh, pickup truck you got? And Mark's just like, that's uh, good, Tom. Thank you for asking such a randomly uh, specific question. Sure enough, Tom wants Mark to help him move. And Mark's got the pickup truck leading to one of my favorite Mark Brandanowicz lines. I boop and hate having a truck. <laughs> so another thing with Tom just being a prick is. He uh, later on in the episode, Mark comes over to him uh, before they do the move. And he's just like, all right, so like what time am I meeting you at your house? Do you have moving pads, blankets, things like that? And Tom's like, uh, I thought the mover was supposed to supply that stuff. He's being serious here. He genuinely thinks Mark is now going to be like, well, we're using my truck. So I guess we should use all my supplies. It's just such like a dick line from Tom. And Mark is just like, I'm not a mover. You know, he still ends up helping him. This is one where you just wish he would have given him the finger. However, the parks crew kind of sticks it to him uh, soon. I'll get to that. Okay. Um, Tom basically does nothing to help, uh, which includes packing. They actually get to his house and nothing is packed. And he, uh, Andy wants to watch Deep Blue Sea, <laughs> which is great because I love that movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. So uh, eventually they've got all this stuff packed up, all his boxes, everything. And you find out he gets off the phone and we find out that there is actually a gas leak in the new building that he's going to be moving into. So the boxes have nowhere to go because um, he says that he has to be out of Wendy's house, you know, by today. So he actually tells the parks crew, how about you guys actually will split up the boxes and everyone can take some boxes to their home and just hold on to them until I get back into my apartment. And I love that the next thing you see is just a gigantic pile of boxes in the parks department with them basically telling Tom, you do it. So, so good. So I love that. Um, 
All right. So they, sorry. Uh, also in this thing, Tom is uh, on the phone, like ordering pad Thai for himself. You know, no one else, of course, he's just, you know, they're, they're doing all the work. He's doing absolutely nothing except just kind of watching and uh, yeah, ordering himself food, being a selfish jerk. So uh, in a similar situation to that one, later on in the series, uh, when Tom takes over or when Tom opens up Rent-A-Swag, he gets uh, the entire Parks crew because a lot of them are investors actually, too. So maybe I shouldn't say they're, they're volunteers because they're actually working on a company that they put money into. But they're at the new store and they're helping him paint. They're helping him clean up because it's not a huge store. But I mean, it's it's a good amount of work. So it, it's he definitely could have used the help. And. You know, like you kind of think like Tom's being like, oh, okay. Like it looks like he's being kind of respectful. Then you find out that he ordered one pizza for all like six or seven of them. No toppings, as Jerry states out, (laughs) points out. So he also wants to make them work in the dark because he's worried about, you know, the electricity, obviously. So they're trying to paint in the dark. They're trying to clean up all this stuff. And um, again, you just... It's like whenever you think Tom's actually kind of doing something nice or he's doing it the right way, he's not, Uh, except he does, of course, right after I said that he does buy them pizzas at the end of the episode. But again, Tom never, ever does this kind of stuff like on his own. He bought extra pizzas because they were all giving him shit like, dude, what do you expect us to eat? He he thought it was perfectly rational to have like a medium sized pizza. So each person would maybe get like a sliver. (laughs) So. All right. Uh, the hunting trip episode when they, uh, you know, the one with the bula, 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 bula. Tom inadvertently shoots Ron with a shotgun, mind you, in the back of the head. Now, this is not point blank because Ron's head would clearly be gone, or at least most of it would be if it was a shotgun blast. But like I said, inadvertently, Tom accidentally shot off you know, shot, blew off the shotgun and you just hear Ron scream in the background and you don't really know who it, that, that this was Tom until the uh, closer to the end of the episode when Anne's just like, I saw you do it and I'm going to tell, but then Leslie steps in and she's like, and it's awesome on Leslie. And this was when Ron actually calls Leslie a stand-up guy because she, she takes one for the team. Cause when the park ranger comes, she tells him that she's the one who did it because she has a, a, a hunting license. Tom does not. So he could have gotten in huge trouble, probably even arrested if they um, if, if he would have confessed or if they would have said that it was him. So, again, you see earlier in that episode, though, Tom is just shooting randomly. He's not warning anybody. He's not shooting at anything. He just shoots the shotgun off. Like, actually, I think he sees birds in the distance and just aims in that direction and shoots like with no intention of actually hitting them. But he's not telling anyone. And that so Jerry is paired up with Donna and Tom and Jerry's reactions alone are just like, what the hell is this? Because he looks at Tom. He's like, what are you even shooting? at?" He's like, oh, nothing. And the way he just shakes his head in disgust, like, how did I get stuck with these two idiots? And also, why are they here? And great part from that unrelated. But yeah, with Donna in the beginning when she's holding the shotgun and Leslie's like, Donna, question. Why should you never look down the barrel of a gun? And Don's like, Donna's just like, we're not supposed to do that. As she literally puts the barrel of the shotgun like to her eyeball. <laughs> so awesome. Okay. Um, so in another episode, when Ron, uh, I'm sorry, when Tom crashes his own car because he's on social media, pretty funny part, actually, it's a cold opening. He's in, uh, he's in court on trial because yeah, he crashed his car into a pole and it's because 
like I just said, he was texting while driving or just doing other social media. And he's trying to prove them. No, 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 that's not what happened. They actually read his tweet that is just like, hey, having a great day. And then like all the letters like, and then like, I think the next one after that was like, just got in an accident, but everything's cool. So he's trying to actually defend that. Like, oh yeah, yeah. What's the big deal? You know? Um, so his punishment is that he can't have social media for an entire week. So he's freaking out. He's like doing things like a crazy person. He makes his own Pinterest board out of cardboard. He he makes himself an iPhone again out of cardboard with little squares on it. And he's like, this doesn't work. He's like trying to swipe them. Nothing. So Ron is like, hey, why don't you come with me up to my cabin for a week? Since you can't have social media, he's like, it'll give you some time to clear your head. You can do some stuff with me to keep yourself busy. Tom's like, all right, that's great. So later, it seems like maybe Ron is actually getting through to Tom and Tom's like, hey, you know, Ron, I appreciate everything you're doing. You think I could borrow your car and go pick us up some steaks? Ron's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Gives Tom the keys. Sure enough, Tom crashes the car because what he was actually going to do was get a burner phone. And once he got that phone, he immediately was doing it while he was driving, crashed again. And like, what was he going to do when he got back without steaks? Just be like, oh, I, I forgot them or, oh, they're out or whatever. So, I mean, like, there's no thinking behind this. Like, Tom just doesn't think about anyone but himself. It's like, yeah, let's say I'm, I'm going to go get a phone, though. So he crashes the car and Ron tells him he, he hands him uh, like the owner's manual of the car. He's like, you're going to help me fix this car. And that is the only way I will not report you to the judge. So we don't we don't actually see that. But we, we do see that. Yeah, it looks like Tom's like, OK, you know, that's fair. Like, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> so. Um, uh, later on in season six, we find out that Tom still owes Roy Hibbert money, uh, but we don't, <laughs> we're not sure why. So Roy Hibbert, uh, uh, great. I don't know if he's a hall of fame basketball player, but he was definitely an all-star great player used to play for, uh, the Indiana Pacers, a couple other teams, I think, but, uh, predominantly with, uh, the Indiana Pacers. We see him in the early E720 episodes, him and Detlef Schrempf are two of the guys that they make or that John Ralphio and Tom pay to just be on retainer, just to be in the building at all times. And just like to give it a little more swagger, I guess. So in the episode, uh, the anniversary, no, not the anniversaries, the one where they all do the, their bachelor parties, uh, where they do the scattered ones. They're out to dinner for Ron. I believe they're at a steakhouse and you see Roy Hibbert. And, um, I think it's Mason Plumley. It's one of the Plumleys, Mason or miles uncredited, but he's another basketball player. He's standing behind Ron and Ron, you know, or they, they find out that Roy Hibbert paid for their dinner. And he's just like, but not Tom. He's like, that guy still owes me money. So this is like two full seasons later since last we saw Roy Hibbert. And I always talk about this and I'm sorry about how the end of the world party, which is what they did after E7 20 went under, they used all the money they had left, which they said five grand a piece, $10,000 if my math is correct. But they have a party that would have made that would have been more in line with John Ralphio's four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. However, we know that that is not part of this because before they throw this party, John Ralphio's like, "Man, that was great! What a success! We had a good run." And Tom's like, "Dude, you literally lost four hundred and fifty thousand dollars." John Ralphio doesn't care, which is I love that so much. Like his dad's got money. So they're, they're, they're well off, pro probably rich, maybe in Pawnee by Pawnee standards, but you know, that John Rolfield will just go do another scam. That's how, so if he needs money, it's like, it's no big deal. I'll, I'll get it somehow. Don't worry. <laughs> um, where are we at? I'm sorry. 
Oh, yeah, the, the Roy Hibbert thing. So he was at that party handing out shrimp. He was just standing next to a wall with shrimp that was on little ledges coming out of the wall, uh, little shrimp cocktail bowls to give to people. So he's basically there just to reach the super high ones that no one could get to. Again, this kind of celebrity hanging out at your party for like, I don't know, four or five hours, that probably would have cost about 20, 30, 40 grand, I, I guess, depending on. However, it seems like Roy's like kind of tight with these two at least. So maybe you wouldn't charge him as much, but that's what I think later on when he says that guy still owes me money. I'm 99% sure. And maybe I'm an idiot for just not knowing that it's 100% sure that this has something to do with when he was working with Tom for E720. And it makes sense how they could have thrown this party on $10,000 because Tom probably owes lots of people money that never got paid that night. Um, okay. So uh, in another episode, when Jerry finds a mistake that will help Tom and Ben deal with a jerky tent salesman, Tom takes all the credit, citing that Jerry wouldn't have found the loophole if Tom hadn't made him sit in the car. Yeah, this is for the gallery that they're throwing. They're trying to get tents. And it's the guy, uh, Rob, Rob, Rob Hubel, I think his name is. He is AJ from The Office. He played Holly's boyfriend before she got with Michael. And he just keeps, uh, you know, like jacking up all the prices on them because he's a dick. And I love that every, you know, Ben's just like, fine. He's like, I'll just call another tent place, whatever. And he just does it right there. And it goes right back to this guy. And you find out that he owns like every tent emporium in Pawnee. And there's like four or five of them. And the names are great, too, because they're all puns. It's like rent a tent tent, um, uh, ace tentura tent detective. <laughs> great. But yeah, Jerry is the one he he because they're like now this guy's like, He's jacking up the prices so much to the point that there's like nothing that they can do. They can't afford this stuff. So Jerry comes in and he's like, hey, guys, you might want to see this. And you find out that this guy hadn't been paying his taxes for like a couple of years or something like that. And so Jerry saved them. They, they go back in and they're just like, hey, look, look what we found. So the guy's basically just like, all right, all right. Hey, you know what? You can have the you can have the tents. You can have whatever you want. Just please don't tell anyone. So they get away with it. But Tom, yeah, he's the one that's like, oh. I can't believe it. Look what Jerry did. And that's because I made him. So like being an asshole to Jerry and telling him, no, just go wait in the car. He's now taking that as that was the good thing to do. Like I helped the situation, which I guess he did. But the fact that Tom would look at it that way and think that, you know, that was acceptable and that that's, you know, whatever. So, um, this is just random how he, um, and I have to, I got to back up my boy, Ben. He treats Ben like shit all the time as well, making fun of his hobbies and interests and his clothes too. Uh, this coming usually when Ben is trying to help Tom. So later on, when Tom is trying to, or uh, Tom asks Ben if he can like look over his books and kind of just check for like auditing type things. He's just like, yeah, Ben, you're a nerd. You'll like this kind of stuff. And Ben like clearly knows this. It's not like Jerry where Tom's insulting him and Jerry's like, okay. Like he does it with a smiling face. Ben is more just like, what the what the hell, man? He's like, I'm right here. I can hear everything you're saying. But he, you know, Tom's his friend, so he's going to help him out. And like, I love when they're, he's, when uh, the Snake Juice episode, uh, season three, episode 13, the fight, when, is it episode 13? Uh, well, either way, season three, the episode, the fight, when Tom invites everyone and Ben, he's like, hey, what are you, 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 you going to wear tonight? Ben's at work. He's just wearing like his usual, you know, he's got like dockers on and then like kind of like a flannel button up shirt. 
not flannel, but well, yeah, I guess flannel. So, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm probably just going to wear this, you know, and Tom's like laughs. He's like, ha ha He's like, oh, no, seriously. And he's like, oh, I'm definitely going to go home and change. But he does show up wearing that anyway. So it's like, F you, Tom. But yeah, just like, what a prick. And uh, at April and Andy's wedding, when Jerry is very happy, it is an incredibly ugly shirt. So I, I, I have to side with Tom on this one, but the way he does it is so mean. But Jerry has like a gold it looks like a Charlie Brown sweater, actually, but it's gold. I wonder if it is, but it's like a button-up silk Charlie Brown-looking shirt. Again, like silver or uh, gold, though, instead of like yellow. But he's really happy with it, and he's like kind of showing everyone. He's like, hey, what do you guys think of my shirt? And Tom actually, he's like, you know what, Jerry? He's like, I got to hand it to you. It's a, it's a cool shirt, man. I, I got nothing to say. And then he waits a couple seconds and does a... <laughs> Oh my God, I can't, I, I can't take it anymore. That shirt's terrible, Jerry. So it's just so mean. You know, and Jerry's really excited about this shirt too that Gail bought him. He was ex- excited to show it off to everyone and Tom just basically tells him it's a piece of shit. Go burn it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, yeah, this was during April's 21st birthday party at the Snake Hole Lounge. And he tells us that, sorry, this isn't the same night as April and Andy's wedding uh, on a, another occasion. Sorry. Uh, for April's 21st birthday party at the Snake Hole Lounge, Tom says he tells us that he he makes like 20 to 25 copies of his house key that he literally just walks around to random good looking women and hands it to them. Tells him his address and says, hey, if you ever want to come by, you know, this is how much of a scumbag piece of shit he is. People, he has no idea who they are anything like that. And the best thing about it is you find out he's never had any luck. No woman has ever gone back to his house. However, for sex, two women have gone back to his house and robbed him (laughs) because he does say he has been robbed twice. And uh, so this, it's just, it's pathetic. It's really pathetic. And then even worse than that, at the end of the episode, you see him walk into a key shop and he's just like, hey, how's it going? Whatever. And the guy's like, hey, Tom, you know, he just holds up the keys, like, give me 20 more or whatever it is. It's just it's like clearly him not learning. And us as the viewer, though, kind of being like, ha, yeah, keep doing it, man. Like, we want someone to break into your house and rob all your shit. So um, and then, yeah, just in general, he hits on Anne constantly, whether or not she's in a relationship. When we first meet her, she's dating Andy and Tom is just right off the bat in, in an inappropriate setting, too, because this is the first time we meet Anne when she's telling them about this, the pit at lot 48 that's got to be filled. And he's just like, um, yeah, he's literally sitting on like a panel with Leslie hitting on Anne as she's just standing there. And then when she's like, Are, what the hell is happening? Are you hitting on me? He's like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm actually very happily married. And he points to his ring. So that kind of like gets her to be like, okay, but then he just keeps going on with it. And, and, Anne knows what's up, but of course, Leslie, cause Leslie's like a genius. She's great at everything, but she's very ditzy at times. She doesn't see a problem with this. So she, you know, cause you would think so like if Ron was there, he probably would have been like, all right, that's enough. You know, cause he's done it a couple times throughout the series with Tom, like telling him the hell are you doing da da da. And then, um, even some of the other women like Joan Calamazzo, she's married. At least when we first meet her, this does not stop Tom. However, when she gets divorced, then it gets kind of scary for Tom because she just becomes like a sex hound and she's drunk and he's terrified. And then um, Jessica Wicks as well, who is like one of the more villainous characters. She's nice, but she's clearly like an enemy of Nope. And she is married to Nick Newport Sr., who is 
mind you, about 90 years old, and she very clearly married him for money, and she doesn't try to hide that ever. She talks about it all the time, that how much money she's going to have. And then they when that when she wants to sell the Newport land at the end of the uh, – in season seven, she basically says, she's like, I'm doing it because I'm going to get a buttload of cash. But um, nothing – that's whatever. That's just her. But it's just going to show you Tom has no respect for – clearly like marriage, anything like that. And he does talk in a really funny episode or a really funny line when you first meet him that he says, you know, my wife knows that I have to uh, have an image to uphold being a government official and kind of saying, he's like, so, you know, she understands that, you know, if I hook up with someone, and again, this is before we know that they're not like their marriage is bullshit. That's why she wouldn't care. But he says, she would understand. And then he's like, however, um, it's very disappointing to me and her that I have not had any success with anyone. So that's, it's, it's just, it's icing on the cake when you think of things like that, like how pathetic Tom actually is, you know, (laughs) great. Um, and then the last thing I have actually, and there are so many more, but like I said, this was eight pages of Tom slander in the episode, Jerry's painting, when he makes the incredible painting of Leslie as the topless centaur and Tom as the fat baby, it's just, again, the way that Tom reacts to that. It's almost like him, the way he reacts to the Philo Pilo thing. He's just like, oh, come on, oh, Jerry, I'm never going to get laid now and all this stuff. And there's a great scene later on when they're uh, they're talking about the painting and one of the guys who's on the panel to decide whether or not it's going to get destroyed. He's just like, like Tom is like, also, we have to talk about the the fat baby, da, 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 da. And then the guy's like, okay, make note that the fat baby is talking about the fat baby. So he clearly knows that Tom's the fat baby. And uh, again, I think this is just Jerry, like how little he thinks of Tom, that he subconsciously made this embarrassing, not not knowing that it's just like, I'm going to make this Tom. Cause even when they pointed out Jerry's like, Oh yeah, it does kind of look like Tom. So maybe it was on purpose, but Tom gets his redemption in the end where the roles are swapped and Tom gets to be put as the topless, <laughs> topless centaur and Leslie turns into the fat baby. So that's what I got for why Tom Haverford sucks. So that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you all so much for hanging out and listening. If you'd like to contact me or the show, citizensofpawnee at gmail.com is how you can do that. You can also like and follow on Instagram at Podcast and at Parks Rec Memes. If you like horror movies and media, please check out my other podcast that I host with my sister called Horror Copia Podcasts. Give us a follow on Instagram at hcopia underscore podcast. Again, thank you for listening to Citizens of Pawnee, Parks and Recreation Podcast. My name is Brian, and I'll see you soon. And now here to say a few words is Mayor Gunderson's longtime friend and co-worker, Ethel Beavers. This is going to be so sad. They worked together for a long time. I'll be brief. Walter Gunderson and his wife had an open marriage. It kept him happy, kept his wife happy. Hi, Evelyn. And it definitely kept me happy. What is happening? Because for 46 wonderful years... He spent night after night exploring every nook and cranny of my body. Go up, you prudes. We're all adults. My only regret is that I never told him how I really felt. So I'll say it now. I loved that man. And not just because he was a dynamite leg. Good night, you animal. Rest in peace, Ethel Beavers.